The content here is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult a healthcare professional with any medical questions and concerns. If you are experiencing an emergency or need immediate help, call 911. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapeutic relationship. I just get so angry. It's hard to sit still. I don't want to be this way. My brain just feels all scrambled. Hello and welcome to Scrambled. I'm your co-host, Chad Douglas. And I'm Nikki Shields. This is episode 33, Phobias. And Nikki, we toyed with, uh, just before we started this episode, of we did this a few days in front of Halloween, um, kind of on purpose. I mean, that's the way the schedule fell with our release dates and everything. But then I was like, well, let's do something spooky and scary. And we'd be like, good evening and welcome to Scramble. But then we're like, we don't really want to make fun of this. I mean, we like to laugh and have a good time. But we're talking about a serious issue, and that is phobias. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to joke and laugh and, and say the word Halloweeny, right? Like we did last episode? <laughs> no, no, we're not. We're not. We're not yeah. going to make light of something that is serious and can be very disabling. But we uh, we did think it kind of fit, you know, Halloween, spooky, you know, fears. A lot of times, you know, people think of certain phobias when they think of phobias and, you know, spiders and snakes and things like that. And so that that was the connection in our head, but we don't want to come off as as you know, mocking something or, or insensitive. Are pretty, yeah, yeah. We definitely yeah. don't want to be insensitive. So we uh, we retract the 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 spooky nature, and we're just going to talk about what phobias are. Excellent. So first question: What is a phobia? Well, a phobia is a type of anxiety disorder that is defined by persistent and excessive fear of a specific object or situation. So a phobia will typically result in a like a sudden onset of fear or fear-related symptoms. And um, a phobia is something that typically lasts for quite a long time. It's not something that, you know, you're afraid for a minute or a week or a month, and then that passes. A phobia is something that, that sticks around. So it is an actual anxiety disorder then? Yes. Okay. Yes. And there, so it gets a little complicated, and I don't have the the book of diagnoses in front of me. Sure. So, but the, there's, there's such a thing as, you know, a social phobia or, you know, social anxiety disorder, Mm -hmm, the the mm -hmm, kind of thing. And then there's something called agoraphobia, which is a specific type of disorder, but then there's specific phobias and specific phobias are kind of what we're going to get into tonight where someone's fear could be really about any situation or thing. And I can't even imagine how many phobias there are documented somewhere Mm -hmm. because ones that come to mind, like arachnophobia, Mm-hmm. Scared of spiders. I mean, the, the movie in the 80s, which is labeled as a comedy, but I found it terrifying because I, I do not have arachnophobia, but I'm not a fan of spiders. Um, one that I've kind of crossed in my head recently when we started talking about this was claustrophobia, and that's mm-hmm. fear of small spaces. I've never really thought of myself as that, but as I've gotten older, if I find myself in a in a small space, I do get a little stressed out. Again, I don't think it's a, a legit anxiety disorder, but to people who have this, and we'll go back to arachnophobia, if you have arachnophobia and you see a spider, what happens to that person? So if someone has a true phobia of spiders, and that's, you know, diagnostically, we're, we're not going to write arachnophobia in the report, right? Like okay. we don't use those terms. You know, I, I had like a moment of anxiety myself when I thought about this episode because I don't know all, I know that like, Fear of vomiting is called emetophobia. <laughs> I know that one for for uh, some reasons we'll talk about later. But, so, but, I don't but re- let me stop for, for there because I, I mean, does anybody like to vomit? I mean, <laughs> don't most people have that fear? You get that little feeling in your throat, and you're like, oh gosh. Yeah. Well, no one likes it. Well, at least no one I've met. It's a, yeah. it's it's like 
a really unpleasant thing. And and it's probably good because if you like doing that, that's not going to be good for your health. And so, yeah. but what we're talking about here with somebody who would qualify for like a, a, a true phobia of vomiting is that they're paralyzed by it or they're, you know, like if they're worried about it, it's not a matter of like it bugs them and they think, oh gosh, I hope I don't get sick. It's like their, you know, stomach turns to ice. They're, they have a fight or flight response. They're like obsessed and, and stuck in that moment and it and rational like oh it's not that big a deal or it's a minor inconvenience don't work that's the thing with phobias it's 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 an irrational level of fear and sometimes it's about something that lots of people don't like tornadoes are another really good example i've met lots of kids who have phobias related to like extreme weather situations hmm. we're not really supposed to be excited about a tornado like it's generally looked at as a bad thing to experience some some people do get excited by tornadoes it's true it's true there are the the weather people who really love that kind of thing um but generally speaking like you should have a little bit of fear when it comes to something like a tornado, right? But when you have an irrational level of fear where it takes over your life, where you won't go outside if it looks cloudy, where, you know, that's where we're talking phobia. When it's causing distress in your life, it's getting in the way of your ability to function on a day-to-day -day basis. That's where any of these specific types okay. become like phobic level. So, you know, kind of taking it back to what I was saying earlier with the different names for each different type. I, I don't, I haven't learned or memorized all the different kinds. You know, there's a special name for phobias of clowns or phobias of blood or whatever. But really, we would just say specific phobia and then we would list the thing that's causing, you know, the phobic symptoms. So these are, I mean, debilitating. You're frozen in fear or you're running away based mm -hmm. on the fight or flight thing. Yep. So going back to the arachnophobia and the spider, they see a spider and it's just a matter of like, oh, I'm, I'm scared of it or it's creepy. It's, it's, I can't move. I can't do anything because there's a spider within my view. Yep. It's the people who will literally move or avoid situations they might otherwise like because there might be a spider there. I'm not going to go, you know, to this, this thing I really want to go to because there might be a spider there or I've seen a spider. And so I'm completely incapacitated for the day. Okay. And, you know, like all other, you know, mental health related symptoms that we've discussed there, there is, you know, kind of a spectrum. So you could have somebody who has a mild phobia where they're just like, I really don't like that thing. I don't want to do it, but like I can get through it. But then you can have someone who's, whose life is basically paused because of the thing that they're afraid of. Um, and that, that can be really, Really intense. How young can a person be to develop a phobia? So th this is where, like, I'm not going to get super technical. I've met children who would qualify for a diagnosis of phobia. But when you're working with kids, you have to be careful because there's such an overlap between sets of symptoms and, and mm -hmm. the, the different diagnoses that they might represent. And so I'll, I'll use myself, for example, when I was a kid, it probably looked like I had generalized anxiety because I worried about a lot of different things. But there were also times where it might have looked a little bit like obsessive compulsive disorder because I had certain, you know, patterns and rituals that I stuck to to help regulate my anxiety. But I definitely had the, the fear of vomiting that was kind of at the heart of it. And so but like, I was too young, to really understand or talk about or know what I needed to talk about. And so I did, I mean, I don't know what my diagnosis would have been. And so with kids, you have to be careful. If a kid comes to you or comes to me and they're, they've got a fear of snakes and the parents are like, we're here because they seem to have a snake phobia. I'm going to be exploring all these other areas as well, because maybe it's a fear of snakes, but maybe it's also, you know, active imagination combined with a generalized anxiety disorder combined with, you know, a lack of support and coping skills. Right. And so it's important to really get to know the entire, you know, like child and what's going on with that child and, and figure out all the different pieces that come together. Because if it is, 100% a phobia, the treatment for that is going to be a little bit different than a treatment for obsessive compulsive disorder or um, generalized anxiety disorder or some of the other anxiety that's, things we've talked about. It's tricky. Yeah.
So how do you know if it's xenophobia with a kid versus non-exposure? If you're scared of bugs or mm -hmm. sharks and you don't live near an ocean, you know, where do you get that, that it's a rational fear versus it's just a lack of exposure? I've never been around sharks. So how do I know to yeah, be afraid how of them? Do I know? Right. I, I think it just, it depends on the level of distress and how much impairment it's causing. Um, but it's also, you know, have you tried different things? I know, you know, my niece is, um, let's see, she's going to be four soon. And she went through a period of just not really liking bugs and mm. it just, like would cry and scream and yell, you know, but She's also little and doesn't know that bugs, you know, she knows that some bugs can hurt you and some bugs can't. And so like her little brain, she's kind of, I would never consider to diagnose that as a phobia so much as just we need to help like expose her and teach her about, you know, the types of bugs to avoid and the types of bugs that are perfectly innocent and that kind of thing. And so it's a lot of times it's age, somebody that young. I would be hard pressed to believe it's a true phobia mm. unless there's been some kind of a, a traumatic thing related to that. And, and so that's, this is where it gets like a little bit extra complicated because a lot of times at the heart of somebody experiencing a phobia, they have had some kind of trauma related to that thing that they, they it's kind of hooked on in their brain. And so they're stuck there and the fear is based on this traumatic event. And so, you know, we, we have plans to talk a lot more about trauma in the future. So we'll be able to unpack some of that soon. Um, but, but right now, just knowing that, you know, sometimes at the, I mean, my, my phobia with vomiting started with several very traumatic vomit related experiences and it just kind of took hold and, you know, <laughs> Many decades later, I'm still like, oh, yeah, I don't like that. Can phobias be developed? Like as you get older, can you start being afraid of something? Like I didn't used to be afraid of fire, but now I am. Yes, absolutely. And and oftentimes that's kind of what happens is you're you're going through life minding your own business, something happens and because, you know, maybe you don't have the opportunity to process it or make sense of it, you know, it, it kind of latches on and then it can turn into a phobia. And that's that's tricky because like you mentioned fire. That's a mm -hmm. that's a great example. Like we should be afraid of fire yeah. for very obvious reasons. It's it's not safe, right? But if somebody has had a really horrific experience related to fire, like it's it's going to be hard to tell them that any amount of fire is safe. And so, okay, so that launches into the the next thing for me, which is like, what do you do when you have a phobia? Like if if you realize you have a fear that's irrational and it's taking over your life, what's the next step? And you know, it depends a little bit on the age and the circumstances, but ultimately exposure to the feared thing is is one of the most important pieces of learning you know to cope with that and not be so phobic but i can assure you as someone who is fairly phobic of vomit i don't want to be exposed to that and the more i'm exposed to it the more i don't want to be exposed to it right so okay. it's 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 tricky it, it's like for the person who is experiencing that what you need to get over it feels like torture it feels like the absolute last thing in the world if you're somebody who's afraid of flying and, you know, your family is like, get on a plane, you'll get used to it. Like the more you fly, the easier it gets. You're like, well, that's horrible. Why would you do that to me? Right. <laughs> you know, and the same, same is true of kids. If you've got a child who's afraid of, and I'm, you know, I'm not good at examples right off the top of my head, but something, what is a common thing for a kid to be super afraid of blood? Let's say kids are afraid of blood. They're just not going to be super welcoming of you, you know, exposing them to blood. Bleeding all over the place. Yeah, that's really not great. <laughs> so, but that's what, that's, that's takes me to what this exposure needs to look like. So if you recall several times in past episodes, I've said that like, you know, you can push kids when they have the skills and the support mm -hmm. needed to manage the situation. So exposure in phobic situations is very similar. So it's, it's slow and gradual over time. You start with like 
talking about it. You talk, you, you like maybe seeing images or pictures of the thing or, or just saying the word or just being able to have a conversation for 30 seconds about the thing. You like you, and you build up to the actual thing itself. So you wouldn't start off with a child with a snake phobia by like wrapping a snake around their neck and being like, here, you're fine. You would start yeah. with simply talking about snakes. And then you would start with looking at photos of snakes and then being, you know, touching the photo of the snake and just building up to this place where their brain can say, okay, all right, I can handle this. And you're building skills at the same time that you're gradually increasing that exposure. Now, is this something that you should do through a licensed therapist or is this something parents can? So I, I definitely think that, you know, if you think your child or yourself, you know, somebody's experiencing this type of distress, you should be working with a professional counselor or therapist, somebody who, who can help you take those steps safely and work with you um, through the process. It's just, it's just a little bit easier and they're going to be able to give you all kinds of tips and, and tricks on how to do it appropriately. If it's not at the level where it's interrupting your day-to-day life and you just have something that bothers you and you want to, to gradually expose yourself to that more and more over time, like you could do that. I, with a kid though, I really think it, it just doesn't hurt to reach out to a professional and get some guidance on it because you know, it just, you you don't want to make it worse. And so it's, it's probably the best. Do children with anxiety or generalized anxiety disorder, are they more prone to phobias or is it two separate things? Is it one of those where it's just kind of a gray line that a gray area where things just kind of yeah. interweave? I think it's like a gray, you know, curvy line that just goes in and out all the time. And and ultimately, you know, a, a child who has any type of anxiety is at a, like a higher likelihood of developing other types of anxiety. Or as we've discussed before, sometimes anxiety will service in different ways. And so even my own experience, there were times that the phobia would have been, you know, front and center and other times where maybe more the, the generalized anxiety was a bigger piece. And so it, 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 it is that wavy line that you described. Um, but definitely having one type of anxiety disorder, it just, there's a, like a, I don't know the percentage, but there's, there's a higher likelihood of other types of anxiety surfacing throughout your experience. Um, but for me, that like that used to sound scary and overwhelming. And when I would tell parents that they'd be like, what? Well, that's not good. But ultimately when you, you look at it as all kind of at the heart of it is this, this person struggles to deal with, you know, the unknown or unpredictable or, you know, has a hard time feeling emotionally or physically safe, right? That That's at the heart of all these anxiety disorders. And so being able to just go, okay, well, that's just a, a new piece of the same puzzle we've been working on, you know, and then it's not quite so alarming. How open should someone be about their phobia to others? Well... I, I, I guess yeah. it's I guess it's a, a thing of opinion. I'm just thinking since we're talking about children, I'm just thinking at a certain age, kids like to tease each other. And so if they know you're scared of snakes, then they might have rubber snakes and they throw it at you thinking it's funny. But again, it's a debilitating thing. So, But we also advocate telling your story, sharing that you have anxiety and being open about it. So where do we, where do we fall on this side of things? I think that's my favorite, like difficult question you've ever asked because (laughs) it really is tricky because here we are like, start the conversation. Let's talk about it. Let's get our mental health junk out there. Right. Let's, let's make it not taboo, but at the same time, something like a phobia, like when you let Mm -hmm. other people know you have this, like if they aren't compassionate and kind, or if they're young and don't yet understand what those words mean, you know, you open yourself up to like risk of kind of having some of that shoved in your face or, or being like people picking on you in a way that they think is funny, but you, you are terrified. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I think it's entirely dependent on the person and their social situation and the type of supports that they have in place. And so, you know, if I'm working with a child who's dealing with a specific type of phobia, we're going to walk through the pros and cons of telling people. And, and oftentimes, you know, teacher, school staff, people that they're interacting with daily, you know, it's 
helpful if they know that, but it may not be something they want to talk with their peers about yet. You know, they may want to, you know, save that information for those that they know that they can trust. And so, I mean, that's, fortunately, I can't think of anybody who's ever like mocked my my particular phobia or like put it in my face or made me like expose me intentionally to something. People seem to get that like, that's not cool, but they also don't always understand because we're the average person. Vomiting is unpleasant and kind of an inconvenience, but it isn't like life altering. And so a lot of times like, I don't know why you're still thinking about that. Like, I don't understand what the big deal is like move on. And meanwhile, I'm like frozen until, until my like fight or flight response comes down. I think we need to go back and count how many times the word vomit came up in yeah, this episode. Having a little trouble. Having a little bit of trouble. <laughs> not, not the most pleasant thing to talk about. So apologize for that. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it is it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned in treatment to start, you know, with snakes, a picture of a snake, maybe touching the snake, moving on to video and stuff. Can you fully treat a phobia and get someone over it? Yes. I I believe so. I mean there was there a question mark at yeah, the end of that? Yeah, yes. there kind of was. Because I mean <laughs> with most anxiety you know, if you, if you cure one piece or you get to a place where like you're functioning really well in that space, there's Mm -hmm. always that risk that like a lot of stress or, you know, additional trauma or something else could, could resurface it. And so I I don't really think of, you know, when it comes to emotional things, I don't know that there's like a 100% fix for anything because we go through stuff every day. You know, there's always some new problem we have to solve. And so sometimes those things will bring things back up that we thought we handled. And I don't know how many times as an adult, I've been like, Oh, I got it. I'm good. You know? And then like, we're like, no, you don't, yeah, you know? And, just kidding. <laughs> and so I think, I think that's the case if, you know, you've got somebody that overcomes their fear of flying and they're flying on a regular basis, but they have a really bad flight like that. Some of that stuff might pop back up, yeah. you know? Boy, that would be tough too if you're exposing and then you get somebody brave enough. And I uh, am a big fan of the Golden Girls. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of the episode where it's Dorothy and Sophia are delivering meals to inbound seniors. And there's a gentleman who's younger and he's afraid to go out. And so Dorothy coaxes him out into the hallway and then eventually out of the building and then to her house. And they go to the supermarket and he's the one millionth customer. And so like the horns go off and balloons oh fall, fall down and people come clapping and everything. And he gets scared and, and runs off again for comedic purposes, but, but that's legitimately a very real thing. And, and I've seen yeah. that and working with kids on, you know, this isn't necessarily phobic related, but we would use the same treatment approach if we've got a kid who doesn't like to eat in front of other kids. And mm. so they're struggling to eat in the, the lunchroom and they're making accommodations and do all kinds of things, but we're trying to work towards them being able to do that. And then they're finally in the lunchroom and everything's good, but then something happens. There's a fire alarm that mm. day or, mm. you know, a kid is mean to them or they, you know, somebody... Somebody does something. And so now they're like back to square one. And so that's a very real risk with any kind of, you know, treatment that you're undergoing to overcome a fear or an anxiety based anything. And I guess that's, again, we're going to do more on trauma at a later date, but that's kind of an underlying theme with trauma. If you kind of get over it and, and process it a little better through therapy, and then if something happens again, can you go back to exactly square one or, you know, with the phobia thing, if you're scared of snakes and then you kind of get over it and then you're bitten by a snake do you go back to I'm terrified them again, or is it more of like I'm on step three of things? I, I like to, yeah, it does. And I, I like to think right. it's the second because I, I mean, I, I feel like there's a certain point in recovery from any mental health situation where like once you develop the skills and you get to that mm-hmm. place where there's more confidence mm-hmm. and you're handling it, that you should never really fall back down. You know, like once you learn to ride a bike, you don't forget that kind of thing. Like it, you, you, you might recognize, oh, wow, I'm really struggling with this, but I know what to do. And I've been there before. And that's okay. a really solid treatment that is, consistent and what it's supposed to be and completed appropriately and you you know practice and do all the things you're supposed to you should never really land back at ground zero but again 
stuff happens and, you know, treatment is hard. And this is, this is a very real thing. Sometimes it's difficult to get into the therapist that you need to see regularly enough to achieve the results you're looking for, or your insurance cuts you off and you can't go anymore, or that therapist leaves or, you know, moves or goes somewhere else. And so now you didn't even complete the treatment. And so it's easier than you're more vulnerable. It's just like if you're taking antibiotics and you stop them, before you're supposed to, your risk of like that infection coming back is higher or getting sick again. And so it's just, you want to complete the whole round of treatment and stick with it and do all the follow-up aftercare that you're supposed to do. And that's just, that's going to make you more resilient to any sort of relapse. Besides the exposure, Nikki, is there any other kind of treatments that can help phobias? Yes. So a medication can be very helpful in some cases. Oh. Um, a lot of times, you know, the meds that you would take to, to help regulate you know, anxiety or depression in general could help to reduce that that phobic response. And so, um, hmm. if you, you know, if you've got someone who's just not ready for exposure treatment or they're doing that, but they're just struggling to, to, you know, feel safe doing it, medication can kind of help take the edge off. And what I like to, we'll have an episode on medication someday, but one of the ways I've always looked at it is it kind of, you take it and it kind of opens a window. It, it may give that boost of energy or confidence or that reduction in distress. That's just enough to allow the person to try the new thing or, you know, do the, do the, the actions that they need to do. That's going to help them kind of get up out of that hole. So in the case of phobias, you know, medication can be a very helpful tool to get the ball rolling. Um, I definitely am opposed to medication only as a treatment for that, just because once that medication is no longer available or they stop taking it, but you know, or there's side effects or something like that, can't afford it. Lots yeah. of reasons why medications get stopped. Now you're right back at square one. So I definitely think a, a combination can be very effective. So if you have a phobia or you see it in your kid, what's your first step? First up, as always, is reach out to primary care. Ask about, you know, counseling in your area. If you're already working with a therapist, let them know what you're seeing. You know, know that, you know, therapists, especially with children, they're not going to jump to, oh, yes, it's a phobia and here's what we're going to do. They're, they're again, going to look at the big picture. They're going to look at other things that might be going on and making sure it's not just an extension, extension, excuse me, of the already existing problems being treated. But uh, first step is to let your healthcare professional know ask for support. Uh, you know, this is a, a place where you can Google it. You can look up information. There's lots of helpful things out there. You can find lots of articles and things, even like worksheets and, and stuff like that on the internet that can help you walk through it. Um, but professional help is is a useful way to get the ball rolling and get started. All right. Give us a couple takeaways then from this episode. Okay. So phobias are not to be taken lightly. They are very intense and overwhelming you know, symptoms of fear or anxiety related to a specific thing or place or situation. And, you know, they're not one and done kind of things. They tend to stick, they linger. Um, I believe the diagnostic criteria is six months or more. So that's, mm. that can help people. Um, they're often found in tandem with other types of anxiety disorders, but they can be separate. They may be rooted in, you know, trauma, uh, or some other difficult experience that you had related to the thing. And uh, treatment usually involves, you know, exposure therapy, working with a professional, uh, maybe a combination of therapy and medication. So that's, I mean, that's a, a fairly good sum up. Um, it's, it's nothing to feel ashamed about. Like, I think that's, that's an important message is, you know, <laughs> I walk around with one every day, and I have certainly learned to manage it. But um, I can't say that it's, it's gone. And that's okay. It's, you know, you just have to find a way to continue to live your life and find joy despite that thing and continue to move forward in getting better from whatever the thing is. And, and what's your phobia? I, I forget. I don't want to talk about it anymore, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. As we wrap up this episode then here, I have uh, I have a list of phobias and we're going to lightning round this. And I'm just going to uh, name them off and you're going to tell me what they are. Ready? Okay. 
All right. Triscodecophobia. Fear of crackers. <laughs> no, it's actually the fear of the number 13. Ah, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. I don't know why I know that, but that's just one of those things that I knew. Okay. That was just a joke. I'm not going to- No, like, actually, this is a fun game. Because... I want some more. Let's do this. <laughs> I, I, okay. Arachnophobia. Uh, fear of spiders. <laughs> we covered that. Yes. Hemophobia. Uh, fear of blood. Yes, I think. Heptophobia. Yeah, I don't know. That one, I don't know. I, I, don't, I was thinking snakes because aren't they like hepta something? Hep, hep, uh, oh, yeah. Her, herba. Her, I don't know. Herba, herba, we, herbophobia. We're moving into a different biology situation. Yeah, we probably need to just bail. Yeah, <laughs> before this gets out of hand. But that was a fun little game, Fear of Triscuits. Oh, this one's interesting, though, because I did do, uh, you know, the Google. Haptophobia is the fear of touching or being touched. Ah, that's I find that intriguing. That's a thing. That's a that's, thing. Wow. Okay, cool. Out in uh, public, you might get touched. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. This has been very enlightening. I think we've learned some stuff here. I didn't realize that a, that phobias actually were an anxiety disorder. Ah. I thought they were just kind of something in and of itself. Yeah. So very interesting. Well, the, And they are one of the anxiety disorders that's more frequently talked about in, in common culture. Like it's, you know, oh, you know, I have a phobia of mice or whatever. And so- People use that, but you're right. They don't think of it as like, this is a diagnosable condition that causes like lots of distress. Yeah, because I think people joke about it. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's spiders on the wall. I have arachnophobia. Go, but yeah. it's not, it's like, it is legit thing. It's a very real thing. The brain is a fascinating organ. That is for sure. For sure. On our next episode, episode 34, we're going to talk about family meetings, what they are, why they're important, and why you should be having one. As always, we thank you for checking us out here at Scrambled Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcast. We're on Facebook at Scrambled Podcast. As always, if you know someone who could benefit from this information, please share it with them. Our whole goal in starting the podcast was to start a conversation, and that conversation continues with you. 